Okay, so let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll start diving into our lesson tonight. Father, we thank you so much for the chance that we have uh, to uh, worship you this evening as a church. Uh, Father, we thank you um, for your love that you demonstrated for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you for showing us what love truly is. We thank you for doing a work of love in our hearts. We thank you that you have begun a good work in us and that we are here uh, experiencing that this evening. Father, we thank you that even tonight we can approach your throne and ask from you the grace that we need for this evening. Father, as we open up your word, we recognize that left to ourselves, we would not understand a single thing. The natural man cannot understand the things that are from you. But Father, we rejoice that you have given us your spirit and that we can understand your mind and your thoughts. And so, Father, we just pray that you would guide us in your truth this evening so that we would understand uh, what we ought to learn tonight and that we might be able to live in light of it for your honor and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd please turn your Bible or your mobile device to uh, Luke chapter 6 this evening. Luke chapter 6. Tonight we're going to be continuing our study on principles of prayer from the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Tonight we begin our third section in this six-part study, which is principles on prayer specifically from the ministry of Jesus uh, Now, just so you recall, last week we looked at principles and prayer from the lifestyle of Jesus, and we saw the importance of prayer and discovered that the discipline of prayer is essential from Jesus' perpetual and punctuated lifestyle of prayer. Jesus, throughout his life, demonstrates the importance of prayer, not only during moments of crisis, but also during moments of calm. Jesus' life shows us that we ought to exercise the muscles of prayer daily so that we can have the spiritual endurance necessary when the trials of life come. Well, tonight we're going to begin looking at the principles on prayer from the ministry of Jesus. As many of you know, Jesus engaged in about a three to three and a half year public ministry in Israel which, according to Luke chapter 8, verse 1, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And during that period of preaching to the nation of Israel as a whole, Jesus occasionally touched on the topic of prayer. Not to a great extent. We're only going to spend two weeks uh, examining two passages. Jesus was a lot more focused on preaching the gospel to the general crowds in Israel than he was about teaching them prayer. Uh, We see him teach on prayer a lot more when he enters into discipling his followers. Um, But nevertheless, Jesus did teach on prayer to a degree. And so we're going to examine this teaching and learn what we ought to learn about prayer from his public ministry to the nation of Israel. The passage that we're going to look at tonight is Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. We're going to look at the first three Beatitudes given in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to see how each one of them are vitally connected to the issue of prayer. We're going to see that they teach us that prayer promises a future 
of blessing. So let's read this this evening. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. Luke records, And he that is Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So let's look at these and consider how prayer is vitally connected to each one of these beatitudes and how prayer promises a future of blessing. Jesus begins in verse 20 by looking and lifting up his eyes on his disciples. And really these beatitudes are him looking at the entire crowd of those who were following him. And he defines for them what true discipleship really looks like. It's just like today. There are many people that claim to follow Jesus. Only a few are true followers. Many are false. And so Jesus in his sermon lays out what a true disciple looks like. And uh, Jesus begins by saying in verse 20, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus is not saying here that to be impoverished physically is a blessing, a spiritual blessing. If that was the case, Jesus would be contradicting other passages of Scripture Um, which say that being poor physically is not any more of a desirable state than being rich physically. Uh, Proverbs 20, verses 8 through 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So there we see that uh, being poor is no more a blessing than being rich. In fact, it is just as great of a danger. Um, Physical poverty is not necessarily a blessing. In fact, Proverbs also teaches um, that often a curse comes upon those who are too lazy to work, the curse of poverty. Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so I want to be clear, especially in in a world of social gospel, that Jesus is not talking about physical poverty here as being a blessed state. He's talking about spiritual poverty being a blessed state. Uh, In fact, the parallel passage, if you want to write it down, is Matthew 5, verse 3. And Jesus makes this very explicit because there he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you don't even have to turn, by the way, to Matthew to know that this is what Jesus is talking about, because if you were to turn just two chapters back into Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, Jesus defines for us what type of poverty he's focused on. Jesus is giving his inaugural sermon in Luke chapter 4, and he says in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, how is Jesus speaking there? Is he speaking physically or spiritually? If you try to argue physically, 
you're going to have a hard time at that because Jesus didn't go around Galilee performing prison breaks. Uh, he did not talk about, he's not talking about the physically oppressed, he's talking about the spiritually oppressed. He's not talking about the physically blind, he's talking about the spiritually blind. He's not talking about the physically captive, he's talking about liberating the spiritually captive. And he's not talking about preaching good news to the physically poor, though of course he did that. He's talking about preaching good news to those who are spiritually poor. Those are the souls to whom Jesus comes bringing good news. And those are the poor people that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not concerned about your economic status. He is concerned about the state of your soul before God. And so Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually lacking, spiritually insufficient. Those are the ones that are blessed by God. Those are the ones, not those who in pride view themselves as spiritually rich and spiritually capable. God doesn't bless people like that. God blesses people who know that they are not spiritually rich or spiritually capable. That word poor in the Greek, by the way, is, uh, I knew I was going to ruin this, patokos. There we go, I got it. It means to cower. It means to cower like a beggar. It speaks of someone who's been reduced to absolute shame and humiliation. That is the blessed one, Jesus says. This is the one whom God blesses, the person who is so empty that all they can do is beg. It's just like the tax collector in Luke 18. He would not lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he moaned, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And I want you to notice there how spiritual bankruptcy is expressed. It is expressed how? Through prayer. Through prayer. Jesus says to every bankrupt soul crying out to him like that, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That is powerful. Jesus promises to throw open the doors of the kingdom and shower grace and blessing upon any broken beggar who cries out to him. And he doesn't give us just some of the kingdom, by the way. If you notice what Jesus says here, he gives us all of the kingdom, all that he has to offer. Just as Ephesians 1.3 says, he gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's ours in Christ. I want you to know tonight that that is not only true the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It is true all the way through to glory. When we remember that we are spiritually bankrupt in ourselves, and when we cry out as the beggars that we are to God, we are given every spiritual resource heaven has to give. It is when we are weak that we are strong, Scripture teaches. It is when we are poor that we are made rich. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours, believer, daily in Jesus. If only you would see your poverty and your desperate need for it. Blessed, you could say, are those who pray. Blessed are you who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Second, Jesus says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Again, Jesus is talking here spiritually. He's not talking about someone who did not get their supper this evening. No. Matthew 5, verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus is saying that those who are blessed by God are those who have a spiritual hunger for God, who long and who crave to know his person, his work, and his way. Those are the people that God blesses. 
who say with the psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, according to that verse, notice how spiritual hunger is expressed. It is expressed through prayer. And Jesus says to every longing soul, whoever cries out to him like that, Jesus says, you shall be satisfied. Now that obviously has a future sense to it. I mean, we who long to see God's face will one day see it, right? We who long to be in God's presence will one day enjoy it for all of eternity. We will one day, as Psalms 36, 8 says, we will one day feast on the abundance of God's house and he will give us drink from the river of his delights. So one day we will be eternally satisfied, but I also want you to notice tonight that there is a present sense to this spiritual satisfaction. In other words, uh, we don't have to wait to glory to be spiritually satisfied. Remember what Paul said to the Colossians? He said, you are what? Complete in Christ. You have everything you need in Jesus. Psalms 107 verses 8 through 9 says this, Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Listen, spiritual satisfaction for the spiritual hungry is not true only at the moment of salvation or at the moment of glory. It's true right now. For each and every one of us. Jesus will say later in Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then who are evil. Ouch. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift of all. To those who listen to this. Ask him. He will satisfy your hungry longing soul. If you ask him. He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, Romans 8.32 says, will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? He will. And therefore, Scripture tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Blessed are those who pray. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. And then finally, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. I want to be clear, Jesus is not condemning laughter here. He is not saying, blessed are the grim and grumpy. (laughs) Though by some Christians' faces, you might think that's what he's saying. Proverbs 17.22 says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. See, laughter and happiness, when rightly expressed, are honorable qualities. In fact, they're a reflection of the gospel. God has given us good news of great joy. We have the gospel of happiness, as Isaiah says. We ought to reflect that on our faces. So Jesus isn't saying, blessed are you who weep over everything. But he is saying, blessed are you who weep over the right things, who weep over the things that should be wept over. And the context is clear. Speaking spiritually, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who weep over sin, beginning with their own. Blessed are those who are broken over their sin and the corruption of their own hearts and their own lives. Jesus is talking about the sorrow of repentance that's described in James 4, 9. Be wretched, you sinners, mourn and weep, you double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There's a lot of people that are laughing at things that they ought to be broken over in our world today. 
Jesus is talking about the godly grief mentioned in 2 Corinthians 7.10 that produces repentance that leads to salvation. So Jesus is saying here in this final beatitude we're looking at tonight, blessed are the people who have that type of grief. Why? Because he says, you shall what? Laugh. You shall laugh. What a promise. This is the laughter, by the way, of the redeemed. This is the laughter of the forgiven. This is the laughter of the free spiritually free. Christians, when I was thinking about it, Christians ought to be those who have the best laughter because their laughter comes not just from their belly, it comes from their heart. They've been saved. They've been saved. They're redeemed. Jeremiah 31, 13 says this, I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I mean, in Christ, we can now with joy draw waters from the well of salvation. This world is horrible at times, (laughs) Uh, but we have a wonderful salvation and a wonderful Savior. So this joyful process has already begun in Jesus, but I think we'd all agree that our joy, even as believers, is not yet fully realized on this earth. Um, I do not wake up every morning, look in the mirror, and have a big old smile on my face. It just doesn't happen. Uh, And our sorrow over sin is not yet fully gone. I am not perfect. Can you believe it? We still struggle with sin on a daily basis. We still experience and are still incarcerated in this sinful flesh and we're living in this sinful world and we experience the consequences and the pain of that on a daily basis. Life hurts. We are under a curse. We are. Even Paul said, probably the most sanctified man next to Jesus has ever lived. He said, woe is me, who will deliver me from the body of this death? We're reminded here by Jesus that true disciples, true believers mourn over the presence of sin in their own lives and over the sin in the lives of others. They are affected by it. They weep. They weep. And I want you to notice, how is that spiritual sorrow expressed? It is expressed through prayer through prayer we're told in scripture that we ought to weep over lost souls we ought to weep over spiritual destruction god's children ought to weep over injustice ought to weep over abortion ought to weep over divorce ought to weep over worldliness we ought to weep over the consequences of sin we're to weep We're to pray about each one of these issues. And Jesus says, blessed are you who weep over these things now. Because one day, you're going to laugh when God makes all wrong things right again. You will laugh when you enter at last into the joy of your master and there experience no more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. We, live, we will live one day in a world and a universe of purity. And we will be pure. Every impulse of our heart. Always righteous and good forever. I can't wait. That will be a day of laughter. That will be a day of festivities and celebration. In the meantime, though, blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who pray. 
Blessed are the you who weep now, for you shall laugh. So here we see prayer promises a future blessing. These first three opening beatitudes of promise are all grounded and expressed in prayer. That's what I wanted you to see tonight. Blessed are those who are spiritually impoverished, who are spiritually hungry, who are spiritually burdened and broken. Why? Because how are those beatitudes expressed? They're expressed through prayer to God. As beggars, where do we turn for help? As hungry, where do we turn for satisfaction? As mourners, where do we turn for our joy? We turn to the throne, the throne, the throne of God. Those are the blessed ones. Our Christian life began in prayer, did it not? And our Christian life continues in prayer. It is the avenue through which divine blessing came, and it is the avenue by which divine blessing continues to come. So just as you've received Christ, as Paul says elsewhere, so walk in him. So walk in him. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep, for prayer promises a future of blessing. Blessed are those who pray. So that's why we're here tonight. We are here to pray.